God love you. Praise the Lord. We're so grateful for God's wonderful presence, his word, his spirit, and we love his people. Amen. You're his people. God bless you. And I want to share some things with you here tonight that uh, is what is being handed out to you here. And uh, it is the, our, our, uh, our thought here to, tonight is the seven mountains of Israel and their significance, their significance. It wouldn't matter to us about these seven mountains except they have a specific reason, purpose, and, and uh, have information for us here today that we can learn a lot from them. So I'm going to get started here in it right away. And if you've got your handouts, everybody got their handouts? Okay, good. God bless you. All right, we're going to start here on number one here. Let me use this pen. Somebody said this one looks a little better, so I'll use that. Uh, Mount Sinai, and it is 6,500 feet above sea level, as far as height is concerned. And we want you to turn with us to Exodus 19 and verse 10. Exodus 19:10, and we're going to talk to you a little bit about Mount Sinai and uh, what the scriptures have to say about it. Now, I also have a couple of maps here that helps us to pinpoint the location. Uh, some people are into maps, some people are not, so if this doesn't mean anything to you, it's okay. But I'm going to put this up very briefly here. And this is a map here of that area. This is Egypt down here. Egypt, this is the Nile River, and it branches off into going out into the Mediterranean Sea and so forth. This is Israel right in here, all of this area. Land of Canaan is all this area right up in here. And uh, this uh, Elot is, is the southernmost border of Israel today, southernmost border right here, right across the boundary line, boundary line that from from other cities there. And uh, Sinai is right down here at the bottom. I'm about to push that up a little bit to see it. It's right down in here. So when children of Israel came out of Egypt, they left Egypt, came here, crossed the Red Sea, came down along the edge here, and came down to Mount Sinai. And here God met them in a very special and mighty way. So we're going to get into the scriptures on that. I'm going to talk to you. I just want to show you on the map where that is. And as we go a little further on, we'll be talking about other mountains as well and their significance. Now, I want you to look with me, if you would, in Exodus chapter 19 and uh, verse 10, 19, 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Verse 11, and be against the third day be re and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Now notice here that this is the location. You just saw it on there. It's a, it's a mountain of about 6,500 feet. It's down in the wilderness part of, uh, of that country. And uh, this was a place that God was going to meet with them. I'm jumping down to verse 16 here in this 19th chapter of Exodus, continuing on here. I will abbreviate as much as I can. Sometime I will read less than I would maybe some other times. Verse 16, and it came to pass on the third day of the morning 
that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Now, here was all the children of Israel that had come out of Egypt. They had come down. It had taken them somewhere around, uh, if I got my uh, memory about right on it, it's about 30 days for them to get to this point in their travels. And they got down into this area, and the Lord said, I'm going to meet with you now. And he said, come down. And so it goes on to say here that there's a trumpet, the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that were in the camp trembled. The Lord has said, get close to the mountains, but not too close. Told them how far away to stay away. They had to have washed themselves and been clean when they were in the presence of God in this fashion. No animals could touch that mountain. They'd be, they'd be die immediately. And all of these kind of things. Look at verse 19. I'm moving on here across uh, the scriptures here. We've looked at, uh, we've looked at uh, 10, 11. Now we're in verse 19 here. And we're in verse 19. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. Now, when the Lord spoke and answered him by a voice, chapter 20 and verse 1, I'm just going to read this first verse or just the first few words about it. And it simply says, and God spake. God spoke. Now, what you have here in the 20th chapter, and I won't go into all the details about it, but for the first 17th, 17 verses, when the Lord began to speak, he gives the Ten Commandments. To get the Ten Commandments. We're all familiar with that. The Lord spoke the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. They heard it for themselves. They heard it from God. It came off of that mountaintop. And it scared them half to death. They heard the voice of God. There was the trumpet sounds. There was fire on the mountain. It was just an awesome sight. And it describes all of that. And finally, down in verse 19, I'm going to jump to 19 very quickly here, because this is what happens whenever the people had heard from God. This is important. The people respond, the people's response to hearing God give the Ten Commandments. And this is what they said in verse 19. They said unto Moses, speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. We don't want to hear from God no more like this. It's, it's too frightening. It, it scares us to death. And we feel like we're going to die in his presence. So if God would just tell you and you tell us, that's all we need. And that's what they did with Moses. And from that time on, the Lord gave them the rest of the Ten Commandments. But not in an audible fashion. But he gave the Ten Commandments audibly. And then Moses went up on the mountain. The Lord carved him in stone, gave him the stone. He went down the mountain, saw the children of Israel, worship him a golden calf while he was up there for 40 days. He got angry, broke the, broke the stones. Then he had to go back to the mountain for another 40 days. This time the Lord says, you carve out the, the, the stone and I'll give you the Ten Commandments. And so then the Lord carved the Ten Commandments on that and so forth. So that was the Ten Commandments carved in stone. But the Lord before that spoke to them audibly and it was on that mountaintop and they said don't let God ever speak to us like this again it scares us to death we can't handle it everybody with me on that now I'm going to move on a little bit further here 
God wanted Israel to understand the power, number two here, the power in the word of God. It was powerful. It was mighty. And when he was going to give them that word, he says, don't ever forget it because it is backed by the power of God. Now, you and I do not know that power like they experienced it there. And we only know that it's in the word of God and God fulfills his word and he keeps his promises and he never goes back on it. But there is great power in the word of God in every way. Now, I want you to look with me here on number three here. When the prophecy of Christ's coming was given, which was in Deuteronomy as well, uh, of, of it, the request of Israel was granted. Now, look over in Deuteronomy. You're right there in Exodus, Leviticus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that was the last of the five law books that were given was Deuteronomy. And just before uh, Moses was to wind up his life, he said to the children of Israel, God has spoken to me to tell you. And he told them this. Now look very closely here. This is, a, this is regarding the coming of Jesus Christ. Look in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 18, verse 15. Chapter 18, verse 15. And the Lord, let me put it right here, 18:15. I'll point it right there. And the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me. This is Moses speaking now. Unto him ye shall hearken. Speaking of future, it's a prophecy of the coming of Christ. Verse 16. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb, and that was about Mount Sinai, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not, because you requested that of God. Verse 17, And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. In other words, they've said that, they've requested that, I grant that. Verse 18, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, unto like unto Moses. This is God speaking, telling Moses to tell them. And will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it. Of him. Now, I want to say this before I go any further here. When Jesus came, he came very quietly and mildly. Now, he did many hero- miracles and things like that, but he did not do any dynamic lightning and thundering and blasts of the trumpets and all of those kind of things. That was None of that was in Jesus' ministry. And the reason was because God preordained that his coming would not be like it was on Mount Sinai because Israel required that. Yet, when Jesus was teaching and going about the people, just walking the streets like any other man and anybody else would do, they wanted to see some kind of a flash. They want to see a miracle. They want to see something like this, like God does. You know, show us that. It wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen because God said, because you have asked me not to, I never will. 
And what that boils down to, folks, is that if we are going to be saved, we must believe Jesus Christ and we must believe his word. You've got to believe in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. There is no other way. And that was all prophesied back here. And the Lord said, this is the way that I'm going to be doing it. So let me move on here a little bit further here. So uh, what the prophecy of Christ is coming was given. The request of Israel was granted. And so therefore, from that time on, no more voice of God. We'll talk about a little bit more about some things connected with that a little bit later on. Now, I want to go to the next one here. This is two. This is Mount Nebo. Let me give you this map again. Mount Nebo is right here. You can't see the words, but you can see the word Ammon. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. Right there where the arrow's pointing is where Nebo was. What happened? The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness here. They ran with it because they would not go in from here in the Canaan's land. The Lord said, because you did not believe my words, uh, and then I'm going to let you wander in the wilderness here for 40 years till that generation had passed, another generation had come along. Finally, they came here, and Moses led them here. He was 120 years old at this time. And he came here, and the Lord spoke to him. Now, I'm going to have you go with me, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34. This is the last chapter in Deuteronomy. It's just before that Moses' life is concluded. And here's what it says in chapter 34, verse 1. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo, to the top of Pisgah. And I'll give you the, I'll give you the size. That's, a, that's one of the tallest mountains in, the, in all the mountains that we'll be looking at above sea level. And uh, to the top of Pisgah. That is over against Jericho. And the Lord, Jericho was uh, right, right about here. And he overlooked that. And, uh, and the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan and Ashtelai. This is the land that these 12 tribes of Israel would inherit. And Ashtelai. And Nephtali and, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah unto the utmost sea. The utmost sea was this sea over here, the Mediterranean Sea. And he was here and he could see clear over all this land in here. And he could see he saw where they were going. He saw where he was going, but he was not to go into the land. He saw where they were going. And that goes on to say in verse 3, in the south and the plains of the valley of Jericho, in the city of the palm trees unto Zor. And so I'm pointing out all these Zors way over here on this other side as well. Now, I'm pointing all that out to you because God wanted him to see these things. Now, let me go a little further. Verse 4. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. You see it, but you won't go into it. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And then it goes on to say he was buried and so forth. Later on, there's a scripture in the New Testament where it says that he was buried by the angels. Now, the reason that I'm pointing all this out to you here is I wanted you here to see that Moses was a type of the law. 
Just like God gave him the law, the Ten Commandments, and then all the law that was given to Israel. But he was not to go into the inheritance. He was not to go into the promised land. It's a type of the, the Old Testament not inheriting the New Testament. In other words, folks, it's a, it's a type of grace following the law. And when grace followed the law, grace through Jesus Christ followed the law, the law would cease to exist. In other words, we don't do what the law requires. The law required a lot of things, and things that it does require, it was also brought out in in the, in the uh, teachings of grace that we should follow those things and so forth. There are many things in the Ten Commandments we still keep, and I'll uh, talk to you more about that later on. But we still keep those things. I am pointing out to you here that there was a place and a time here where the Lord said, okay, there's going to come a time in which there will come, there will come an end to the law. Moses, you're a type of the law. You're a type of the law. You can see it, but you can't go into it. The Bible says in one place that many of the prophets and the wise men of the Old Testament saw what you and I have, but they never entered into it. They never had it. They saw the promise, but they never received the promise. That's it brought out in Hebrews, in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. They saw it, but they never received it. You and I have received it. And I just want to point out to you here that what we have received is the greatest thing that God has ever put on the face of the earth. It is his spirit in our lives. It is his word that's given to us in love. It is the grace of God that reaches out to us when we are not worthy and we are not fit for it. We have not Abraham to our father, except as, as a father of faith, we are the children of faith. That's only through faith. But we have not that as a natural, you know, that's what, that's what they told Jesus. Jesus says, it's not right that this woman being a daughter of Abraham should not be healed. So she had the right to that. But you and I have no rights. But through his grace, through his love and his mercy. And I've thought many a times about preachers that came to the Pensacola area where my parents lived and my grandparents and my ancestors around, all around through that part of the country lived. And everything, and through them, praise the Lord, the message came. And finally, I heard the gospel, and I turned to the Lord, and I was saved. I thank God I was saved. But I thank God that the message came our way, and God was merciful to our people. And so was your people, and everybody in here. I don't care what, where you're from. I don't care what. I don't care whether you're from Haiti or Jamaica or you're from the Northeast or the Northwest or the Southwest or South. It doesn't matter. It's that wonderful grace of God that was sent our way. Praise the Lord that we can lift our hands and praise God and thank him and say, Jesus, thank you, Lord, that you brought to us the grace of God. Praise the Lord. And all the things about the law is not attached to it. I mean, the law had everything to do about how you plow your field and everything. You know, you don't plow the corners. I mean, you don't reap the corners. You plow them, but you don't. And you sow them, but you don't reap them. You let those corners stay there so that the poor people can have places they can reap the food and gather food without stealing anything. And you can never put tree. You can never put a fence around trees with that fruit on it. Anybody can walk along and pick fruit and eat it. I don't care if it was your your your, your, your orange grove. 
anybody could pick and eat the oranges. Praise the Lord. And uh, you know, it always worked well. God had a great, wonderful plan. Let me move on here because I want to go on. But Mount Nebo represented that it was, it was time for uh, the, the, the gospel when it would be brought. A man would bring the uh, justification by faith and so forth. Uh, look at John 1.17. I'm going to have you go to this scripture very quickly and then we're going to move on. John 1.17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That's what we've just been talking about. And uh, I'll also add to that Luke 16, 16. Luke 16, 16. Praise the Lord. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. So here is just telling us here that the law was until that time. Moses was a type of the law, and you can't go into it, Moses. You have to stay on this side of it because you're a type of the law. There's more to it than that even. He, I know he, he, uh, uh, he, he smoked the, 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 the rock instead of speaking to it one time and all that too. But the, the point that I'm bringing out here is that God wanted him to be a type of the law. Amen. Now I'm going to move on here a little bit further. Look at number three. Look at number three here. Oh, I've got, yeah, I got that, that map up there. Look at number three with us. Mount Zion represents the grace of God and the church. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, I want to have you go to Hebrews 12, 18, 19 with me for a moment. 12, 18, 19. Uh, let me, uh, Put this up here for just a moment. This is another map, and it's a map of Mount Zion. This is Mount Zion in this area here. Now, three of our mounts will be on this map here, and it's the map of, of Jerusalem. And this is Mount Zion. It is part. It is the center of the western part of Jerusalem. It's the center of it. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, that area is high. It's, it's a mount. I mean, it's not a mountain, but it's a it's just elevated area. And it's only 2,600 feet above sea level. All of this, that Mount Moriah, and which is also the Temple Mount. I'll get into that in a minute. And also uh, the Mount of Olives. They're all 2,600 feet above sea level, which is the smallest of all of the mountains that we'll be looking at here. But this is Mount Zion. Now, let's get right into the... The, uh, the lesson that we have out of that. And uh, look at Hebrews 12, 18. Hebrews 12, 18. Well, I have a hard time using the right one, don't I? All right. Hebrews 12, 18. Praise God. Everybody with me? Amen. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burneth with fire, that might, uh, the, the mount that might be touched and that burneth with fire, nor under the blackness and darkness and tempest. This is all what they experienced when the Mount Sinai came. And the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the words which voice they had heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore 
We just talked about that. Verse 21. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and, and quake. Look at verse 22. This is talking about us now. But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. This is what we've come into, which are written in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now, what I'm pointing out to you here is that here in the book of Hebrews is telling us this is what we have come unto. We've come unto Mount Zion not unto Mount Sinai. And there's a comparison that's made here that God no longer refers to Mount Sinai because Mount Sinai ended whenever Moses went to Nebo. But now Mount Zion here represents the church and so forth. Uh, Let me finish up reading here. Verse 28, I think I've already, let's see All right, 21 through 24, I read that. Now I look down to verse 28. Wherefore, we received a kingdom which cannot be moved, cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby ye may serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear. So these are instructions giving us that we are to serve God as on Mount Zion, not on Mount Sinai. Everybody's still following me here, where how that we're pointing out here the advantage of being in the New Testament rather than the Old Testament and how God is very good to us. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to go to the next one here, Mount Moriah. This is the Temple Mount. It's also 2,600 feet above sea level. I'm going to put this map back up here again. And... Uh, it's right here, Mount Moriah. See that Mount Moriah? The words are right there, Mount Moriah, where that arrow, that red arrow is pointing to. And this is the Temple Mount right here. A lot of people don't know this, but Mount Moriah is the same as the Temple Mount. Now, let, let's go to the book of Genesis for a moment. This is going to surprise some of you, maybe. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But look in uh, Genesis chapter 22. This is concerning Abraham. Everybody with me? 22.1. And it came to pass that after these things that God did tempt Abram, Abraham. The word tempt here means it tested. The Bible says God tempts no man. Therefore, God cannot be tempted. Over in James, it says that. It says, but here it uses the word tempt. That's the translator put that word in there. But actually it means tested. God tested Abraham. God did test Abraham and said unto him, Abram, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here am I. Now the Lord is speaking to Abraham. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom I, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. And after him there for a, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham did that. 
He got everything together. And the Bible says over the New Testament, when Abraham did that, he actually literally believed with all of his heart that whenever he slew his son for sacrifice, God would raise him back up to life again because he believed in the power of God for the resurrection. But God never required that. When he got there, God stayed his hand, and God never required him to do that. Now, I'm just pointing this out because Mount Moriah, where Abraham was tested if he loved God more than anything in the world, that this would be also would one day become the Temple Mount. And this is, that's why it's on this map here, Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is the Temple Mount. All the, the Jewish people know that, and they, uh, they follow that very closely. I'm going to put this back up over here. So I'm pointing out to you here that the Lord, praise God, spoke to Abraham to do these things and, uh, and also has spoken to us about this Mount Moriah. It represents our obedience, our obedience. In other words, Abraham obeyed the Lord and God was faithful to Abraham. It represents our obedience. If we'll be obedient to the Lord, God will bless us and God will honor us. And the word of God speaks about that. Uh, I'm going to have you look at Hebrews uh, 13, 17, if you would. Hebrews 13, 17. And uh, go back to Hebrews a minute here. For you know how that afterwards when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance and therefore he sought it with tears. For ye are not come unto mount that might be touched and that burneth with fire. Am I in the right verse? Hebrews thirteen seventeen. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong place. All right, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey him that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. This is talking about obedience now. We're talking about, this gives us a lesson here on obedience and that is this Mount, uh, Mount Moriah here, which is obedience because Abraham was obedient to God and so we learn a lesson about obedience. Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves, and therefore they watch for your souls. This is your pastor and the spiritual leaders over your life. The Bible speaks about that and tells us that we should be diligent to do those things. Praise God. Uh, I'm pointing all that out to talk to you about how important it is to be obedient. I'm going to give this little personal illustration of my own life. Uh, when I was a young man, I went to St. Paul Bible School, and I went through the first year, and Christmas time came, and I went home. Went back and went finished school up for the first year. Second year came. Christmas time came. Usually some students were gone. We all got together and we all sort of chipped in and rode. And we drove all the way from St. Paul. I lived in Miami. So drove to Miami and back. And second year. Came the third year. And that was the year I'd be graduating in June. Christmas time came. And I owed a bill at the school, pretty high bill. It had run up, and I had been without a job, and I just wasn't able. Of course, school was carrying me a little bit there. And uh, so I got to making plans to go home for Christmas. And uh, Brother Norris said to me, 
Myers, you can't go home this Christmas. You owe a bill. The money you spend going home, you know, you need to stay here and get a little part-time job of some type and work around here. And you cannot go home. That was it. I walked out and I said, I can't go home for Christmas. I've never been away from home for, for Christmas. I've never been away from my family for Christmas. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go home. I'm going home. I got to thinking about it and thinking about it. I thought if I do, there's no no use coming back. And I won't graduate. And man, I wrestled with that thing, and I thought, man, I can't stand being away from home for Christmas. And I'm just talking to you here because he told me what I should do. I made up my mind. I got on my knees and I prayed about it. I said, God, okay, I'm going to obey the pastor. I'm going to obey Brother Norris. Well, we had a skit going on on Friday night. And I was in the skit. And, and I had resolved it. And it was all over with. And I was staying. Brother Norris found out about it. He called me over and he said, Myers, Christmas Day, I want you to have Christmas with me and my family my home I said okay brother Norris thank you I appreciate it very much a fella came to me on that same evening and said Myers I'm going to be gone for two weeks and they need a guy down at the Buick dealership to drive the new Buicks around in the parking lot in and around about that's what I do and I can't do it will you go there and take my place and you do it and it'll pay x number of dollars blah 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 I said yeah I'll do that so then I had a job for two weeks. I made some money. I was going to be eating Christmas dinner with the Norris family, you know, everything like that. And because of my obedience to the pastor, now listen to me closely here, that spiritual leader over me, because of my obedience to that, the Lord honored me for that. Now, during that two weeks period of time when I was working and then I was back in my room and there was other students that did not go home. They stayed around and we got together and we had time together and fellowship and all. And all of those kind of things that happened in all that period of time, I started studying the Bible. And I kid you not, for the first time in my life, things began to open up to me and the understanding of the Word of God like I'd never seen it before. And it's that is still with me to this day. I still can read scriptures and things open up and I have understanding about Verses and scriptures and passages and things like that. That's part of what pastors do. God gives pastors and ministers that, I guess, a gift or whatever it is. But I want you to know that it started when I was obedient to the pastor. And to this day, I'll never regret that I didn't do what I did. I stayed. I spent Christmas Day at their house, dinner at Ruther. Afterwards, Brother Norris and I played Scrabble, and he taught me how to play Scrabble. I never played it before in my life. He taught me how to play it. Praise the Lord, just like a friend. That evening, I went out with a bunch of young people and everything. We went out ice skating on the you know, on a roller rink in a park, you know, just ice skating around, just, you know, and just, just enjoyed the whole two weeks while I was there. The following year, I went back my fourth, my fourth year while I was up there at Christmas, I said, Mom, I'm not coming home. Dad, I'm not coming home this Christmas either. Amen. I'm going to Canada to be with some friends there. In other words, it, 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 it broke the cycle. What I am trying to point out to you here is that being obedient, sometimes, folks, that's tough. 
obedient to the right voices. Now, you can have some friend trying to tell you to do something and you know it's wrong. Don't, don't go that way. You know, sit not in the counsel of the ungodly. But what I am trying to say here is that when our pastors or our spiritual leaders try to help us and give us sound wisdom and sound advice, let's be obedient to the word of God in that fashion. And let's be obedient to this word right here that we have and that we read it all the time. Everybody say praise the Lord. All right, let me move on here. I just wanted to just pass that along with you too. It represents also Mount Moriah, Mount all our worship, because it is the temple mount, and the temple represents worship unto the Lord. When the temple was built there, it was a place of worship. It was the most sacred place in all the world at that time for Israel, for them to come and to worship the Lord. I'm going to refer here to a couple of places in the Old Testament. And uh, I uh, want you to look at Psalms 117. I'm going to read the entire psalm to you. Everybody ready for this? It's got two verses. <laughs> it's got two verses. Psalms 117 is one of the, is the shortest psalm in the Bible. And chapter 119 is the longest by far. It's got 183 verses, I think it is. 83, I think it is. Anyhow, Psalms 117 says this. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. And whenever this psalm was written, it was like saying, that says it all right there. Let's praise God. And folks, if we didn't go any further and do anything else here, this song here tells us, let's praise God and let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's praise his name and magnify him. Now, I uh, referred to this psalm last week, and this is Psalms 150. It's the last of the all the psalms, and of course, it's one of my very favorite and I'm just going to read it again to you, six verses long. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Verse 3. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and organs. Everything, in other words, everything we got, let's just use it to praise the Lord with Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. And everybody said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That wasn't everybody. Let's say it all together. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Praise, praise the, the Lord. Lord. God bless you. God love you. Amen. So the, the Bible teaches us to worship the Lord. So the Temple Mount, Amen. The Temple Mount, which was Mount Moriah and was the temple where the temple was, represents our worship unto God. Now, I'm going to go to the next one here, Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel. And uh, look at this very closely here. This is, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Mount Carmel. Okay, I got it right. I got all kinds of mountains here. <laughs> this is Mount Carmel right here. Now, a very interesting thing happened on Mount Carmel. And if you look at your notes there, it represents resisting the enemy. Resisting the enemy. In other words, sometimes you've got to stand up against the devil. You've got to stand against him. You've got to resist him. I want you to look at 1 Kings 18. 
this is where this is taken from, 1 Kings 18. And, uh, okay. And I'm reading uh, verses 19. Now, therefore, send and gather to me all Israel. Let me just say here that this is Elijah, and he had prayed and asked God to show his, show his power and his greatness and his force to Israel. So he said this. He says, now, therefore, send and gather me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450. And the prophets of the groves, 400, 850 false prophets, which eat at Jezebel's table. That's who these prophets were. They belonged to her. And so he said, call all of them together and everything. So whenever he did, they all got together and they, he said, all right, you guys, now you call fire down from heaven. And we put a, you put a sacrifice there. You call fire down from heaven. And the God that answers by fire, let him be God. Elijah said that. They said, oh, yeah, 850 of them. Folks, they spent all day, all day, way over into the afternoon, chanting and jumping around and flouncing around and dumbling, doing jumps and praying to their gods, Baal, and, the, and, the, and to the god of the gods of the grove. Baal was the god of fertility. In other words, if you wanted have a lot of cattle, you prayed to Baal, and I said, give me a lot of cattle, give me a lot of sheep. Or, or if you want to have children, you to pray to Baal, and he'd give you children. This is a god of fertility. Uh, he, he was nothing. He was a false god. That Baal, B-A-A-L, came from the word Baal, B-E-L, is the same god they had over, over in uh, Babylon. Well, I won't go any further on that. But just the uh, the fact that they came around and they did everything they knew. They jumped around and did all that kind of stuff. And when they were along over in the afternoon, they were exhausted. They were laid out. They were hanging over and they were laid out on the ground. <laughs> and nothing had happened. The sacrifice there. So now Elijah said, okay, it's my turn now. Everybody, you've had your shot at it. You've had your chance. All those were standing around watching this now. All, at least those that were there. Look at verse 30. I'm going to, uh, this, that was the mountain there. I'm going to refer back to our notes here. And uh, look at verse 30. I'm right here. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he prepared the altar of the Lord that was broken down. He got it all put back together again. And then he put the sacrifice on the altar. And then he poured barrels of water. I mean, just gobs and gobs of barrels of water on the sacrifice. They poured it on the sacrifice, poured it until the water ran all over the sacrifice. Ran, <coughs> excuse me. Wait, I get to find it going too fast. I'm looking at that clock. Anyhow, they poured water all over that sacrifice. And there, and that water is running everywhere, and it's just a big mud hole, and just, and there's, it's all mud around it and everything. It's just a horrible mess. And the sacrifice is saturated with water. Now look at verse 37. Look at the simple prayer that he prayed. Hear me, O Lord. 
Hear that this people may know. Hear me, Lord, that this people may know that thou the Lord God and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood that it was laying on and the stones that the wood was on and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trenches around about it. Now you see what, how the Lord just whipped it. That was all on Mount Carmel. And then the people said, let the Lord be God. He is God. No question about it. Now, I won't go any further on it, but Mount Carmel represents resisting the devil. Let me give you a couple of scriptures in the New Testament where it teaches us that. I'm reading here in James. This is not in your notes, so I'm just going to read it to you very quickly here. James 4 and 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is James 4 and 7. Another scripture very similar to that is one that's found in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. 1 Peter 5 and 8, I know I'm sort of, they don't have the notes here having to pick up, catch up with me here. 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Praise the Lord. Resist him. Now, I'm just trying to show you here that the Bible teaches us to resist the devil. Sometimes folks, you've got to say, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. Get behind me, devil. You know, just, just, just tell the devil to go on. Just resist him. Amen. And do that. Don't be ever afraid to do it. Just say, devil, get behind me. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm moving on very quickly here. Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon. This is God's reassurance. And I've got just a few minutes here to talk to you about this. Uh, let me give you this map again. This is the Battle of Transfiguration. Mount Hermon is right here where this area is, up in the northern part of Israel. Mount Hermon, and it is a tall mountain. As you can see there, it's 9,200 feet tall. And this is where Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he had to just get away from all the crowds and all the people. He took his, he would, took three of his disciples with him. Not all the twelve, just three, Peter, James, and John. And they went up with him on Mount Hermon. And it represents God's reassurance, reassurance. Look at Mark 9, verses 2. Mark 9, verse 2. Praise God. After six days, Jesus taken with him Peter and James and John leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no floor on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias, which is Elijah. The Old Testament says, uses that word. With Moses, Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, down in verse 7, it says, And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And this was a reassurance that these men following Jesus, obeying his word, 
listening to him for three and a half years. It was getting close to the end now. It was a reassurance that indeed this was God Almighty manifested flesh and this was the Christ. He was the Messiah. And it says here, this is my beloved son, hear him. And whenever they came down the mountain, they said, no question in our mind. We saw him transfigured. He shined, glowed like, you know, like a bright light. And Moses and Elijah appeared right there with, with him. And the voice from heaven, there's no question in our minds about who this is. This is the Messiah, no question. And they needed that when they would go through the trial. Remember, Peter's the one that said, I don't know who he is. Remember, he died and denied Jesus. Remember that? And it was because there was so much pressure on them not to stand with Jesus and not to be with him through his trial because the whole nation went against Jesus at that moment. You wonder where was all those people that he fed with 5,000 men besides women and children. Where were they, you know, at that time? I'm going to move on very quickly because I know our time. But the Mounts of Transfiguration represents a reassurance that the Lord will absolutely keep his promise and he is right and he is who he is. Now I'm going to go to Mount of Olives here. Mount of Olives is the one that we showed in this map. And it is uh, it is over here on this side right here. Way on the side. This is the Temple Mount across the Kidron Valley right in here. This is the Mount of Olives over here. It doesn't say it because we're running out of map here, but this is where it was. And from the Mount of Olives, you can look across and see the Temple Mount. Now it's the Dome of the Rock, the Muslim uh, mosque there, over cross over there. And one day that's going to all be taken away too. And the Muslims, hate to, they won't even think about it ever, but it's going to happen. But anyhow, this is the, the uh, here. And this is where Jesus finally went on his last walk. And I'm going to read this, and we're going to conclude here with this. Look in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Praise God. Now, this is them walking out on, up on the Mount of Olives. Verse 8. Jesus said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be a witness unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, look at the verse nine with me very closely and when he had spoken these things folks that was the last thing the lord told them go back and wait and you're going to receive the holy ghost and you're going to be a witness of me when he had spoken these things while they beheld he was taken up jesus was going up he had his resurrected body here not his glorified body yet but it was resurrected they could look at him they could see him uh, it was not yet glorified but it was glorified after he was ascended into heaven he was taken up at a cloud, received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up. Now, I have likened sometime a moonshot. Remember when they used to do moonshots or outer space shots out of here at Cape Kennedy? And they'd shoot some at night. Anybody ever see those that went up at night time? Night? So several of you did. There's something to see. The whole, the whole, everything lit up like it was daytime. I mean, for, I don't know how many miles, I mean, tens of miles, everything just lit up. It was like daylight. 
that thing blasted off and it went up. And as it went up, the darkness came back on and you could see the fire shooting from that thing at nighttime. And you'd see it, it just kept going up and going up and going up and going up. And everybody was standing watching and watching and going up, just going on up. And that, it just kept going and kept going. The next thing you know, say, is that a star or is that, is that the shuttle that just went? You know what I mean? You saw it go up. And I'm thinking that these men saw Jesus go up and they go up and they, boy, where is he? He's gone. He's just out of sight. He's gone. He went up. Praise the Lord. And here's what it says here. Verse 10, I'm going to read that again. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by him in white apparel. Now look at this closely, folks. Which also said, ye men of Galilee. Now these two men in white just showed up. You know who they were. They were angels. While they were doing like this, they looked around and here's two guys standing here in white clothes. It's obvious they're angels. They're just, they're there. And here's what they said. Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? Don't just stand here now all day and just keep gazing. This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now, folks, if you have your Bible, make sure you underline that passage of Scripture because this is just one more of those promises in the Bible that Jesus is coming back. He said, if I go away, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you shall be also. The dead in Christ shall rise first. If you've got loved ones who've gone on, Lord, folks, to be with the Lord, don't worry about them. God's got his hand on all of that. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I'm quoting here from uh, from. Uh, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. I'm just pointing out to you here, folks, this is our hope. And I don't know how far away it is. The Bible says when these things begin to happen, then look up for your redemption or what nigh. And we're starting to see some weird and crazy things, and it's going to get more of it. Can I just say that? More of it. And you and I, praise the Lord, let's keep on believing God, holding fast to the Lord. Praise the Lord. There's going to be a revival at this end time. God's going to move where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. And then all of a sudden, God's going to come back for his church and for his people. And we're going to see the Lord and be with him forever, 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 forever. Aren't you glad for the hope that we have? Hallelujah. The seven mountains of Israel, they all have significance. But I thank God, especially, amen, for the one where he went up into heaven. Let's stand together and let's just thank him and praise him. You've been a great audience here tonight. God bless you. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the presence of the Lord. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, even for the faith that you put in our hearts to receive your grace. God, we ask you to bless this congregation. Go with them, Lord, at this time. Keep your hand on us in everything, Lord, and we give you the praise and the glory. We know you're coming back for your people, and it's not very far away, and we give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And God bless you. You're dismissed in his name. And remember when we are gathered together on Sunday morning again the next time. Amen.